Two Daydream Believers podcast. This is your host, Bitsurfin18. And today we are talking about two episodes, Asian F and Pot of Gold. And returning to the guest seats this time is Sleep Deprived Mind and Miss Honeysuckle Pink. Hey guys, welcome back. Hi. Hello. Hi, it's great to be back. Yep, great to be here again. So let's start off with Asian F. And um, we can kind of like, the curtain blame scenes may take, like, ten minutes to talk about. <laughs> There's so little <laughs> in here. Um, but... Pretty much. Uh, uh, starting opening up, this scene... Um, we actually start off with Booty Camp. And everybody... Um, Santana's come back. And just about everybody but Rachel is doing Booty Camp. Um, and um, everybody's being really cutesy. And, you know, Kurt gets a little cutesy scene. And... The main part of this scene, though, um, is about Mercedes, and I'm going to interject. This is, a, this is a big Mercedes episode, and one thing I'm going to interject here, though, is that we saw it in the previous episode, and we talked about it a little bit, where um, Finn can't dance, and Will is, like, really compassionate towards Finn and all of his problems, and then here, he's kind of not really the most compassionate person towards Mercedes, and, and I'm not entirely sure how fair that feels, um, especially seeing them side to side. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you brought up a good point, and I think that contributes to her um, dissatisfaction, and she really begins to, to, um, to realize this after, I guess, I forgot the, the character who's, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I don't think she realizes that until... Um, the football player that she's dating, I guess, at the time. Shane. Shane, yeah, thank you. Thank you, I had a mind uh, last there. But Shane, I don't think she realizes her worth until how badly she's been treated until um, Shane points it out to her. And then if you think back, yeah, he's re- Mr. She really didn't treat her very good. So I think that contributed to her um, mm-hmm. eventually leaving for the trouble tones. I yeah. Think. Well, I think with this episode is, I mean, there are a lot of themes about, um, I'm trying to think, it's not necessarily ambition. Well, somewhat ambition, but it also is about expectations. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I think you kind of see that overall is just like, you know, who's expected to win, who's expected to fail, what your, what your role is expected to be. 
Um, cause you see with, with Mike and his plot line, you see with Mercedes, you even see this, you know, like I said, towards the end with, with Kurt and Blaine. Uh, but, um, but yeah, when you point out what Shane does, one of the things he points out is with Mercedes and Rachel's friendship. He's just like, why are you hugging her? Your rivals. She is just like, she, she is your competition and you need to treat her as such. So mm-hmm. I think that is one of the things that gets kind of brought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And plus, when you're thinking about expectations, you brought up a good point because I think also when you think about uh, Emma's Emma and Will's storyline and their their storyline with her parents and things, mm-hmm. and, you know, that happens later in the episode. But I think that ties back to expectations because the expectations that the parents have or the notions mm-hmm. they have about her and how she was really hesitant to introduce Will to, you know, mm-hmm. her parents. And I think expectations played into that, too. Yeah. So. You know, it, it's funny, Connie. I kind of, like, skimmed both episodes on my iTunes earlier before I came in. And I still, ten minutes later, completely forgot that Will and Emma <laughs> had a plot line yeah. in this episode. Yeah, I completely forgot about the ginger supremacist stuff. But. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that, too, until I rewatched it. It's probably yeah. more or less we can let that one go. We probably won't get too in-depth on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can, but I think it's, it's good to just kind of remember that overall the themes on this is looking at, yeah. and the more I look at it, it is expectations. It's oh, yeah. Emma's, Emma's parents' expectations on her. It is of her and expecting her to marry a, another ginger, essentially. Um Mike's parents' expectations on him, and there's a whole cultural thing wrapped around that. Um, an expectation on Mercedes, almost even a lack of expectation with Will. It's almost like Will just assumes and expects that Mercedes won't do as well, which is like a kind of an opposite thing. And then finally, Kurt's kind of acceptance slash expectation that Blaine will get the role of Tony. And then we get into those issues of passing and... Um, and, you know, who's accepted as a romantic lead and things like that. Right. But Which then leads into all their issues in, like, seasons four or five. <laughs> if you think about it that way, I just thought about something, too. Um, Kurt's expectations about, I guess, that Brittany, um, when they were running for class president, mm-hmm. I think she, he had expectations that she wouldn't do too well. That's, That's right. Well, that uh, and then she kind of like, showed him off by doing the whole run the girl, run girls mm-hmm. run the world number. So and she surprised yeah. him. So I think that plays into it too. Yes, and I will yeah. say that I guess you know for the listeners, um, in, in case that this once this airs and you've basically been in a drunken stupor for the last month, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, what happened still happened. I'm sorry. Man, I I don't know if it's better or worse that we tape this after the election. <laughs> it's oh, it's man. painful. <laughs> but, okay, jumping back. First, um, I, I want to mention uh, this little Kurt background moment because um, kind of a tiny, tiny thread that we, uh, we haven't really talked much since season two, but it's the Kurt Sadie stuff. And it's it's interesting here because um, we haven't really had much Kurt Sadie's to talk about. And in the first scene with the Buddha camp thing, he's just kind of like stunned that all of this is going on and, you know. Yeah. But he doesn't really say anything. And then we get um, 
the this song, and of course nobody's supposed to be actually paying attention to her like singing in her head. Um, and it is a gorgeous uh, Mercedes solo I'd like to throw out there. But and they're mm-hmm. sitting next to each other, but Kurt's. I thought I think it's funny because Kurt's texting, and everybody knows is in that room. So I'm like, who is he texting? But um, maybe he's playing a Candy Crush or something. Um, <laughs> Did I have Candy Crush back then? I don't know. It was 2011. Yeah. Angry Birds. Angry Birds. <laughs> but um, they're. It's it's just interesting at how far apart they feel here in this episode because, um, and we'll get into it in a second or in a little bit when we talk about uh, Mercedes. Um, oh, what's the Dream Girls song called? Um, the one where they're um, all dressed up. It's and, not a Yeah. Yeah, and it's just. Uh, let me see. Let me see. I think yeah, I have it's, it's all over. Yeah, it's all over. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting, like, looking at Kurtzadies in season three. And, and they'll get some stuff near the end of the season. But um, just right now, they are so not part of each other's stories anymore. And I don't know. It makes me a little sad. Yeah. So. It does me, too. I also would like to remind everyone, in case anyone remembers the fandom wank of the day, that um, because she had shown up late and was sick, that there was this rumor in fandom that Mercedes was pregnant. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That would have been an interesting way to take that. (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) No, Mercedes. Yeah. No. No, well. I know. I don't know why that got brought. I don't know who, what, how that rumor started. I don't know if there was a rumor that somebody else was going to be pregnant or something. But yeah, at one point there was a rumor that possibly Mercedes was pregnant. It's <laughs> like, oh my god, how did these things even start? I don't know. So I don't know. They probably sprung from the same well that says that Kurt and Adam joined a fraternity in season <laughs> four. That was was oh who was that? Yeah, TV line. Oh, that was the best. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this is before we had the Brazilians, too. So. Yeah, that's true. It was. Yeah. Um, so next we have um, the the girls run, run the world scene. And before it, we have this mm-hmm. little setup where Kurt's really happy about, and he, I guess he's doing well in the polls. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but we never had a point lead. Keep in mind that Brittany had just joined the race. but That's true. Um, and that was an 11-point lead, and... God, I really don't want to talk about elections right now. But I know. Yeah, not to. <laughs> one where a girl wins. Okay, so we'll do that. This is very, this is very timely, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, um, too, <laughs> it's too close. It's too soon. Um, it is. Um, yeah. So Kurt and Rachel are talking. <laughs> and, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, but Tim, it is an awesome fucking song. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, but I love how Brittany kind of dives in. She's just like, she's just joined the race. So, of course, Kurt still has a comfortable lead um, because I think he's actually the only person that is currently running. Well, isn't point. Rick Brittany the Stick? Is he yeah, running uh, I can't remember when Rick the Stick joined the race. I can't remember when he joined. He may have, like, the one after. Episode after. Yeah, I think it was afterward. Yeah, I think so. But Brittany points out all the issues that we've had. It's like, look, it's like we've had, you know, all these male presidents and they've put us into double different recession and climate change. And I'm like, what does this have to do with high school? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's, you know, here's my little two cents about this thing where I'm like, 
it is so cool to, for them to be like, okay, girl power, let's do this, and girls run the world, and it's a great scene. And but out of all the people, out of the males on the show that they need to stomp on, they have to do it on Kurt. And I'm kind of like, why can't they have like Puck running and and she can like stomp on him? It, it just I don't know. <sighs> it, it, season three was the season that just didn't make any nothing sense. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and but so. Right. But Bernie Willicott and her her outfit was great. Her dancing was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I did love the whole girl power thing. And yes, I stopped. And if when it comes up on my iPod, I suddenly the gate of my walk across campus changes. Yeah. <laughs> and I am a fierce bitch. Well, and it's such a I really it's a, such an empowering song. And I think it's fantastic. And uh, man, I really like I said, I think when Kurt's sitting there and he's just upset i'm just like devastated for him though because she should be making the statement but it should be against like the pucks and the fins and the wills and the i mean god so okay if you just think of it as being against the rick the sticks of the world yes i like that idea so so yeah and i guess this is that we were we've been talking about this a little bit since i've been starting doing the season three podcast but like, if season two was kind of this climb up to this top of this really, you know, have a great ending of all of these things, season three is, like, the unraveling, and just, Kurt's gonna mm. get shit on this entire season, so, it's like, get ready, guys, we're just gonna keep going downward, and this is part of that, so. And, and we might as well go ahead and up front say that, as far as I can know, in all of the different polls people have done, season three usually comes across as the least favorite season out of all of them. And I, yeah. I've made no apologies of, I, I, you know, I, it's my least favorite season, which I'm, it was funny, I did the Purple Piano Project, which I, I like that episode, but the guests on there were like, wow, Pam, you're being a little harsher than if I'm used to. And I'm like, yeah. well, it's season three. <laughs> but, yeah. No. Well, I have to Season say, three had great moments. Yeah, it did though. It, it did have moments. Well, I like mm-hmm. to put out point out something about that's related to Kurt. Uh, I guess tangentially, I guess. But when Sue is running for, um, I guess she's running for office or running for the mm-hmm. and she was under the platform of no arts in schools, and mm-hmm. that's when Bert gets in and and things. Um, I think that's looking at the bigger picture and how things come full circle. I think that's really ironic that she's that she was running on a platform of no arts in schools when at the very end of the series, you know, McKinley becomes a becomes an all arts high school. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then I mean, she's the even rock. there. It's the yeah. classic Hollywood musical ending in that the villain is defeated and the, you know, the, ostensibly the hero of the show, um, you know, has its redemption and it's, you know, kind of, it's, that's, it's metamorphosis almost. Yeah. I think I, I actually wrote like a really long blog post. It was like a, it was a response to something where I actually argued that everyone talks about the main character of Glee being Rachel, even though most people are like the main character of glee was william mckinley high school yeah oh yeah i guess so i never really thought of it that way but yeah oh and i know i know this is I, I, something just hit me and you may have mentioned this before but going back to expectations mm-hmm. um this is jumping around a little bit but at toward the end of the episode when bert decides to run bert decides to run for um office against Sue. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and she uh, and they're all sitting around to talking about it uh, with um, at breadsticks with uh, with 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 Kurt and um, mm-hmm. with Finn. He says he said something about for Finn. You know when he's when he's out or when Bird is out campaigning and stuff that Finn can run the shop or um, mm-hmm. he he had expectations that I guess that Finn would always stay you know and run the garage and everything so I think that mm-hmm. that set of expectations was already placed on him by um, or maybe assumptions or something but mm-hmm. by <clears throat> by Bert and by um and by uh, Carol too, so I thought that was kind of ironic. Then when you brought up expectations, that kind mm-hmm. of tied into that too. It does. I think it might be a yeah. theme that kind of goes through the season a little bit because that actually happens in episode four, and the one we'll be talking about in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that's a kind of a thing with these seniors, and you know, where are they going with their lives, and what do people expect of them for the rest of their lives, and and that kind of thing kind of plays with the seniors for the whole season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can also argue that maybe this is even just kind of a a indictment on the fact that we put so many expectations on people when they're still in freaking high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that you're supposed to make, I always think of, um, did anybody around here remember the show Daria on MTV? I remember it. Show. I was younger. So, yeah. And Daria actually makes this whole thing about, because they have this and we're talking about, you know, you have to make sure to have the right major and pick the right college. And it's like, you're expecting us to make decisions at 18 that will affect the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that is a completely unfair thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This comes yeah. back several episodes later in Saturday Night Gleaver. Yep. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, moving on. Yeah. Gosh, we're jumping like, um, <laughs> there's so little Kurt and Blaine. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that during this little portion, this is when Darren was filming Girl Most Likely. So he had a, yeah. a lot less screen time in these couple of Yeah, it was. We were all wondering why okay. he didn't. He wasn't there. And he, yeah, he was all filming. That's Girl right. Most Likely. He was, I think they, they, they were hoping to have finished filming before Glee started, but I think there were some delays and he did have to go back to New York a couple of times to film scenes for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get, oh, to speaking of expectations, we get the clay scene of the episode, and um, the we had a cliffhanger in I Am Unicorn about Lillian um, uh, singing Something's Coming, oh, and yeah. Kurt watching, and mm-hmm. he's fine until the, they ask him to do um, Tony, and yeah. it's, you know, cliffhanger, and so yeah. here's... And he can't not be Tony after that. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's like... He, he, you can't not have him be Tony. I'm sorry, Kurt. Oh, no. And it's we like, actually... Wayne is totally like Richard Beamer in that. <laughs> yeah, but I played Tony in 1961. So. And and we do talk a lot about that. So if you guys missed... Um, I, listeners li- missed that. Go back and listen to I Am Unicorn. We actually go into a lot about um, Kurt versus Blaine and auditions and that kind of stuff. And here we get our resolution. And the thing is... I, you know, you, you as a, the audience member or the writers were assuming we were going to think, oh, there's going to be some tension between them. And it's interestingly, they, we, I mean, I, yeah, Blaine's barely in, I don't think Blaine showed up except for maybe possibly some background, background in the yeah. first couple of scenes, but um, uh, they don't see them interacting at all until this particular scene on the staircase. 
Yeah. So. And, and Kurt is, you know, we, we do bring back to that where even Kurt sees what was probably talked about in the previous podcast, which I wasn't in, but, you know, how he says, you know, a, 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 a horde of like Schubert Alley locusts, I think is what he put it as, mm. would swarm if, if Blaine didn't get the part. And it's, yeah. it's, it's melancholy. It's not, maybe melancholy is not the word I'm looking at. It's not shame. Bittersweet, maybe? Bittersweet. That's yeah. it. Because Kurt, he's like, he wanted this lead so bad, but at the same time, objectively, even he has to say, you know what? No, my boyfriend makes the best Tony. Right. Well, um, and it's so, I mean, think about the, I mean, Kurt is Kurt and Kurt is a teenager. And the fact that he's mm-hmm. like, you know what? This is something I really wanted, but I'm going to support my boyfriend here. Yeah. And, yeah. and even Blaine is the same way. I mean, like if Kurt had gotten it, he would have supported him. And and I think that's mm-hmm. something very sweet in this relationship that's going to start to kind of gradually go down during this season um, yeah. and hit rock bottom in season four. It is mm-hmm. these moments are reasons why they make sense as a couple and why through all of their rough times, these this is the core of them really mm-hmm. caring for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is also the first appearance we get of the yellow and red roses. Yeah, I was about to see that. Really yeah. mm-hmm. of their relationship, and I'm actually kind of looking up the meaning of roses. Oh, <laughs> what awesome. are. Mm-hmm. Um, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk about the the you always zig when I think you're going to zag line, which I love. Yeah. Um. And then there's um, also something that I know fandom noticed. Um, they put it in there deliberately. Um, they're out in public, and and at the very end, Blaine definitely wants to go in and kiss his boyfriend, but he can't. I, or, whoa, I love you so much, and oh, I'm going to give you a nice pat on the shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Because we live in a god-awful homophobic high school. Yeah. So. And, yeah. Well, and on top of that, this is where... I don't know how much you guys want to talk about censorship or not. I, I don't know. I, I know that uh, this kind of thing, I understand. Like, if you're, you know, especially I'll still. I'll say it, they totally asked them censor crap in the season three. Yep. Mm-hmm. They totally okay. did. I, even, totally I mean, good. I'm pretty sure even Ryan Murphy and them admitted that Fox Network told them to tone down the game. Right. So I think this is yeah. this scene was, like, an excuse. I mean, yeah, there are definite. I'm not trying to downplay that there are definite, like, it being PDA in public can lead to, you know, you don't know. But at the same time, I feel like this was their excuse. They're saying, oh, hey, we, we acknowledge the fact that these two probably would kiss here, even if it was a sweet little peck thing. But um, I'm sorry, we can't because Fox is saying turn down the gay. So. Mm-hmm. Very much. So. Too bad they couldn't have been on ABC, say, about three years later. I know. Then, you know, back to back with how to get away with murder. Well, you can even tell. I mean, when you watch well, season during, five, even during, even during season, uh, I, starting well, in four, but it? in five more so. Five, season just five. A different, yeah. way different. So, yeah, I added it up, and I actually believe that Kurt and Blaine kissed more in season six than they did in the entirety of the rest of the series. Even season five. I even season five. I think. Oh wow. I'll have to note that as we go through. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I'm just trying to think of, like, all the kisses that they had, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, this, well, I mean, there may have been one less. There may have been one less. There was, like, the season, there was the series finale kiss. There was series finale kiss, the elevator kiss, the wedding kiss, 
The, they kissed twice in the um, wedding. Oh, they kissed twice when? In the wedding. Oh, yeah. They kissed twice in the wedding. Okay, yeah. Twice in the, in the wedding episode. Somebody loves you. Yep. Then, yeah, I mean, do you count all the little pecs? Because they had a bunch of stuff at the end of season five. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you got a point there. Yeah. In but. the locker, and in front of Kurt's uh, locker at the end of the very finale. Yeah, that's one yeah. of the ones that I was counting, too. Yeah. So I think they had, like, about six kisses in season six. Let's go back and There's count that <laughs> did you Did you see what the yellow and red roses mean? Yes. Okay. So, um, first off, I mean, red roses are very obvious. Red roses uh, are love, romance, um, long associated with beauty and perfection, time-honored way to say I love you. Um, and then with yellow roses, uh, obviously, the main things are friendship, joy, and good health. And it, when it comes to sending a joyful message, um, they consider them a perfect way to say thanks, get well, congratulations, oh. or just, hey, thanks for being you. I bet you Kurt did research. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so, I mean, with a, a get well or a congratulations. So it could have been like a, you know, congratulations slash, hey, I hope you get this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi. Yeah. So, and and it's kind of, I like the tone where, where also where Kurt is supportive 100%, but he is a little sad for himself. And we'll see I, well, when we get to the end too, when they post the, um, the, Cast list. The cast list. Um, the other thing about this scene is that it's so small. I mean, like, we just held on to every little thing um, in mm -hmm. season three. And when I was going back and doing some of the stuff after coming and doing season five and six stuff, like, this is like a little 15 second, 20 second scene. And I'm like, geez, this is it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's why the uh, that's why the fans were clinging on to every little thing, you know, in the every little subtlety because we we had so little to grasp onto. Oh yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, we go into we have another booty camp scene that's really. I mean, Kurt's just kind of in the background, and I don't remember what is going on in the scene. I think this is where she quits, where Mercedes yeah. quits. And one thing really quick, though, I need to mention Kurt's shoes, because um, he's wearing these clunky boots in the first scene, and he's wearing these kind of interesting-looking tennis shoes in this scene, and I'm like, God, you would not dance in these. It just seems like it would be really hard to dance in these shoes, but okay, yeah. sure. Um, but this is where, yeah, this is where Mercedes is pushed to the edge. and, and Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is where we have the dream girls um, fantasy. This is when we get, yeah. I think <laughs> I love this song. I think it's so yeah. fantastic how they just weaved it in here and everybody's little parts and how those little parts interact with, you know, not only the yeah, Dream Girls song, but what's going on. Yeah. And shout out to Kurt's suit, which is a combination of the, the men's and the women's costumes. Mm -hmm. It's like the men's suit, but it's like, it's, it's very much like the men's version of like the, the, the women's pink, sparkly evening gown where... So, mm -hmm. and boy, and boy, Kurt's hair defied gravity. Right <laughs> <there>. <laughs> oh man, that reminds me. This is so defying gravity. This is yeah. totally off topic, but the first or second time I went to go see Chris, his hair was like, you know, five feet high. It was amazing. And I, I, I posted it on Facebook. I'm like, and Chris hair, Culver's hair defies gravity. And like, nobody got it. I was very sad. Oh, but. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
but yeah. Um, and oh yeah, I I think it's one of my favorite parts though, and this is when Mike comes in. He's like, I just got into this business. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But oh, it's okay. Twenty one six Texas A and M. Well, this sucks. Oh. Uh, yeah, sorry. For everyone, while I'm doing this podcast, I'm also keeping track of the Ole Miss Texas A&M game, which is uh, currently playing as the recording of this. And as usual, we're sucking. Oh. So. <laughs> um, 2016, I wish you were over already. Oh, I know. Yeah. It needs to. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, so girls. Oh, so, are we still talking about the fantasy season? Yeah, we're still talking about Mike's one, this, that wonderful scene that Mike has in. Oh, you know what? I just got oh. this mixed up. Sorry. No, no, I, was Mike's fantasy. I was getting the two different scenes mixed up because there was, Mike had two dance scenes in this. And one of them is just kind of this wonderful fantasy kind of thing yeah. that you'd almost expect in an episode of So You Think You Can Dance <laughs> of like this wonderful solo where he's struggling between his dad and, and, and yeah. you know, what Tina wants him to go after and everything. Um, but then that- after is when he has that wonderful moment with his mother yeah uh, of course it's also the mom and teen wolf <laughs> like, yeah. well why don't we take a second and talk about the mike plotline because i do think it's worth mentioning since mike doesn't really get a whole lot of plot lines in here yeah and, and, actually, and he is the plotline in this so. mm-hmm, yeah and i have to say that i can uh, being being asian and being chinese i could really relate to to his storyline because there are a lot of expectations from parents for their kids to do well, and uh, and so when when he feels a lot of pressure to do, to you know getting that A minus, I mean, I couldn't particularly feel that way, but I know of people you know friends and things who are who are, um um my Asian friends growing up that that had that expectation and they felt a lot of pressure, so even getting a lower grade because they're always expected to do well. Um, and so I could really relate to that storyline and being torn about, um, you know, expectations to go with expectations rather than going with what you really want to do and what you're passionate about. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that particular scene that when he had that scene <clears throat> initially in the in the room where he was um, thinking about his, you know, when they had his dad and when they had Tina in there. I think that scene was particularly powerful. I mean, very moving to that because it, and they captured that beautifully because it, it, you do feel very torn. And I could feel that, that he was, um, it's sort of like having two conches on your shoulder, one on one side and one on the other side, to, just trying to tell you what to, trying to figure out what to do. So that scene was probably the most moving scene for me in the episode. Mm-hmm. Aside from the uh, you know curtain plane stuff, so. mm-hmm. well, and that and I did like yeah. the the scene with his mom too, and where she's yeah. kind of, you know, torn herself, and and but you know they have this very special moment with each other, and it's kind of a very sweet scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the, and then and then that leads to the. Um, I get I don't know exactly when that falls, but he has his audition with. Uh, it's actually before because he got in trouble because he he was supposed to go see a chemistry oh, yeah. tutor and so he went uh-huh. and he did the audition with Cool instead, which I thought was good. 
He's, but, yeah. huh. okay, as a, as a huge fan of West Side Story, uh, and I listened to the, the Glee tracks along with the actual West Side Story uh, film mm-hmm. score, um, I wasn't exactly wild about how they, they did it in Glee. There's a certain way that they kind of end it in. And the thing is, one of the things, and it may be the fact that I'm probably a bigger fan of the film. I've never actually seen, it's funny, I've never actually seen the musical on stage, yet I was in it in high school. Um, and for those who don't know or may not be as familiar or only familiar with the film version of West Side Story, so this kind of is important. And obviously, we did it this way. In the stage version, Riff does sing cool. And it's sung early in the show. I think it's even sung before Officer Krupke. But it's long before any of the major shit goes down. Um, in the film, which I personally thought it made a much bigger impact, um, it is after the rumble. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, after Bernardo and Riff have been killed. Uh, so, spoiler alert. Um <laughs> And it's the remaining Jets that sing cool because everyone's freaking out and we're like, someone's got to go to the cops. And we're like, no, you have to play it cool. And I just thought it was so much more impactful there. And so the way that they end cool, the Glee version, I'm pretty sure we're ending it the way that they do in the stage version. And I'm just, I'm just a bigger fan of the film version because it's just kind of almost a quiet end to it because the whole point is, and you're going to stay cool. Because that's the whole point. Of be cool. And just yeah. going okay. off on it. That's, that's my musical interpretation. Moment. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. going to say, just on a musical theater tangent, too, but out of the couple that they do, um, West Side Story was, was written, um, the music was, was the music written by Leonard Bernstein? Or, oh, God. What's Bernstein? I yeah. And that music is not no, so, easy. Uh, it is. It's I mean, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, somebody. One of them wrote the lyrics. One of them wrote the actual play, and I can't remember which is which. Okay. No. Okay. It was Sondheim because Stephen Sondheim did the lyrics. That's right. Okay. Uh, Bernstein music and Sondheim did the lyrics. Yep. And I, I I don't know if people are as familiar with that, but that they're very classically trained um, people, and this music is hard. It is not. You know, it's very technically hard and um mm-hmm. i'm not sure how i think glee did it the best that glee was gonna do with it um mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if people really understand the complexity of the the music yeah in, in west side story so just throwing that out there yeah oh, oh no absolutely and i agree um in fact, I kind of, oh God, okay, I'm looking up at the sky going, Darren, I love you. I love you so much, but honey, you're right. And I do have to say this. He he was great and something's coming, but I gotta admit, when it comes to the two duets that he does with, well, with Leah, um, that Blaine does with Rachel as Tony and Maria, she definitely overpowers him. Oh yeah. On both and one hand one heart he his when he when darren and darren is you know please people don't get mad at me because darren will be the first person to say he does not have a broadway voice um and he he, he, yeah it doesn't quite work out as well um when he does something i don't know what happens it's like when he does something's coming it's amazeball you know and i wonder i I, this is my kind of interpretation of this um that he probably did something's coming I'm trying to think 
No, that theory doesn't hold up. Uh, I was just like, if he's in the studio and, oh, you know what, though? Something's coming might be a smaller range. And Darren has um, said, and and, I mean, I I don't know the exact um, interview, but I promise he has said this. Mm -hmm. He's got a smaller range. He's got a very pop voice. And I'm going to throw out my musical background back here. Um, he does. Mm-hmm. That's he. He yeah. is amazing on stage. He can do some. Fet- I mean, Hedwig is amazing because that is exactly his style. Uh-huh. But these very classical, you need a huge range type thing. He isn't as strong on, and that's not a criticism on him. That's just saying that's a different, you know, a palette, a different skill set. And right. yeah, he does sound a little bit weaker on tonight and um, one hand, one heart, which is in the first time. And Leah, who has had this musical theater training and has a bigger voice for stage, um, can overpower him. At the same time, Leah Michelle doesn't sound really great on pop songs. So it's, yeah. you know, a trade-off. It's certain people are good mm-hmm. at certain things, and that's just kind of where it stands. But, you know, now yeah. that I'm thinking yeah. about it, what do you guys think of, because we do have this whole Rachel, we're getting, actually, um, the next part is Diva Off, so it's a good time to talk about this, Yeah, of Rachel mm-hmm. versus Mercedes in um, as Maria and... I don't know. Just wondered what you guys, if you had thoughts on it. I, I would say, um, gosh, I want to say that obviously you would kind of expect Rachel to be Maria almost because she has kind of a more traditional, I mean, if you're picturing the Natalie Wood look of Maria, then, you know, Rachel really is, you know, Rachel slash Leah really kind of has the whole Natalie Wood look with the Marnie Nixon voice. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would have really liked to have seen what Mercedes would have done with the role. Mm-hmm. You know, and having that, like, that kind of, the personalities that, you know, because, I mean, if you look at the role of Maria, you know, mm-hmm. and um, how that can be portrayed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to say. It's a, it's a toss-up. It I mean, really the, is. The key thing is, however, is that Mercedes isn't really an actress. She's very much a singer before anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, vocally, even though Mercedes kind of has this more R&B sound a lot of the times, I mean, like, listen to her in this Dream, Dream Girls song. Um, she she can belt it out. She does have a, um, a uh, voice that can fill a stage and fill a room. So yeah. I, I, I can see why, even though... This is all setting up to, you know, have Mercedes go to be with the treble tones and Rachel be mm-hmm. Maria. Um, if I was actually casting it, I can see the dilemma in yeah. picking which one. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, Maria's not exactly kind of a belting. I mean, Maria's got a big voice, but she didn't have like a belting voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't. It's like just listen. That's I almost would have casted Maria Mercedes as Anita. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, this the the scene where um, Rachel and Mercedes kind of sing the same song and have a diva off, and uh, yeah. we get another. This just a little plain moment. It's just like this is going. We're going to remember this for the rest of our yeah, lives. Yeah. <laughs> you're going. No, you're not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I like. You know what I think is my favorite part of this moment, though, is that first of all, like they're all huddled together, which we don't really. I mean, usually they sit side by side and they're sitting side by side, not really in their each other's spaces, and I kind of like that. But I also kind of like how Blaine's just, like, intently, like, taking notes in his head about this. Like, okay, yeah. Kurt is telling me information. I need to store this away for later. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
And by the way, don't forget that this isn't just what drives Mercedes to the trouble tones. It's also what drives Rachel to decide to run for class president. Right. Yeah. Because she's desperate, you know, because, because, you know, I, I think, yeah, I somewhat vocally, I think they both did great, but I, I, I paid particular attention to their expressions. And, um, and, uh, Leah and both Leah and Amber did a great job, but if you could see after after Mercedes saying, you could see that you could see the expression on Rachel's face when she was watching her from the side of the stage. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, she's she's not going to. I think she expected that the um, Mercedes just to kind of step, you know, acquiesce to what she is, but then when she when she heard her sing, she's like, she just had that expression on her face, like, oh my goodness, I got, I got to well, do something. Well, I lost this. Yeah. 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 But also, so, I so. mean, the thing is, it the is it me or the, God damn, scams back to elections again. It almost feels like it was a little bit rigged because the song out here on my own, if it's, it was really more in Mercedes' wheelhouse. Yes, it um, was. The original Irene Cara version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was a little, yeah, it was. I think so. Uh-huh. So. Um, well, the speaking of um, election stuff, though, kind of segueing into the next scene with Carr is when he finds, after he finds out that Rachel has decided to run. And Rachel, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And on the one hand, I like that for a split second, the show gave her some genuine fear. that Because they never really let her, like, fall and they never really let her stumble they kind of she just kind of just gets handed one thing after another and um here they give her some genuine fear but at the same you know there's um i think it was snarky hag who started this kind of thought process in my head anyway where when you compare like for example um rachel with blaine rachel is um Oh, gosh, I wish she was here to actually explain this better than me. Um, Rachel is told always that she is only valuable for her talent. So if her, mm-hmm. she doesn't feel valuable for her talent, she feels worthless completely. And that mm-hmm. is what drives her to do things like run for student class president, even though it's going to run over her best friend. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm not completely, unlike other places within other seasons, this, I do understand where she's coming from, even though it, it is kind of a crappy thing that she does. Mm-hmm. And it, and here's the, you know, difference between Rachel and Kurt, too, because Kurt comes up and is like, you know, I have nothing going into Niata. You have all of these things. You probably will get the musical, or you, you'll have all of these, you know, uh, things put on your resume. Yeah. I am this barely holding on trying to do this. I didn't get, <laughs> I know I'm not getting Tony, and here you are going to stomp on my already, you know, Britain stomped on election campaign. Um, so, yeah, we get the start of this mini few, like, it's only like three or four episodes. Um, yeah, it only goes to episode six where Kurt and Rachel are not talking to each other. I, I wish I felt more tension, but I don't. I mean, you're supposed to. You're yeah. supposed to feel like, oh, gosh, all the various not speaking to each other. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's, I, I wish I felt more about that, but I don't. Yeah. And then we get to the, um, but yeah, and then we get the, uh, to the, um, oh, we're going to double cast. And so we'll just kind of alternate you back and forth. Mm-hmm. Which we all, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. What'd you say? 
I was going to say, which I, I think we revisit in season five when, um, when we have the whole Rachel versus um, Santana. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. They, they do tend to, there's a couple of re- recycled storylines later on. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and and it's you know they have such a hard time here, but they won't double cast any of the other you know parts, and yeah, they just won't make a decision. I you know we and we talked about this a lot in the previous episode, but I'm just not convinced Emma and Coach Beast and Hardy were the best people to be running this musical. But you know, well, well, Will's wanted. Was this when Will was doing the? No, that was like the next season when Will was doing that whole Washington thing. Yeah, yeah, that was season four. I forgot was, what he's doing here. Oh, he's he's so hardcore prepping for nationals that he can't do the musical. That's what it was. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running booty camp with everybody but Rachel and it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, half-ass teaching Spanish, which he shouldn't be teaching in the first place. Apparently. <laughs> Find that out later. Oh man. So uh, and um, you know we kind of we reached the end of this episode uh, with the the. Uh, putting up of the cast list, which there's apparently only five people in this cast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good Lord. That's like, what the heck? I mean, there's a lot of people on stage, but only, I think the <laughs> sign says the rest will be posted later, but <laughs> these are who oh, we've casted uh, now. I'm sitting here going, my God, at least they had the entire cast for Greece when they did that the yeah. next season. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. This is ridiculous. But, okay, thank you, all of us. We are pleased to announce the following roles have been cast. So apparently it was like, they weren't saying this is the whole cast. We're like, these roles have been cast. It just didn't say anywhere. They're, we're going to uh, cast other later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also when we, that, and this was really controversial, um, was the whole Will singing Fix You. Yep. Yeah. To somebody Emma. who... We get yeah. it to, to, to Emma, and we'll tell you what, put a hold on it, put it back in it, revisit it when y'all do the episode on Yes, No, or the one after that, when we were, yeah. because, um, even though, no, but wait, this was after Born was, uh, we've already done Born this way, she's already Born gone to the doctor, gotten on antidepressants, and not antidepressants, but um, medication of some sort. To treat her OCD. Well, and a lot of the season, because I've been doing, the, I'm way ahead on the, the meta that I've been doing, so I've been watching ahead. A lot of the Will and Emma stuff is really about him not understanding her, him trying to fix her, and mm-hmm. him, like, you know, stomping all over her, and her having to teach him a lesson, and it's just one bad thing after another, and I'm, I, I know there may be one or two people out there that really find Will and Emma romantic, but it's just the worst. I'm like, good Lord, why is she in this relationship? <laughs> oh. There is something called, and here's the thing. I don't want to necessarily say, I'm not going to call it toxic masculinity, but I'm going to call it like a, ben- it's like benevolent sexism. Yeah. So it's a co- cross between benevolent sexism and toxic masculinity where Will has, this belief that he is a man and that he's also an authority figure as a teacher so that his job is A, to fix everything, B, to make boys into men. Um, I, uh, somebody else think of a C because I can't think of one right now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's no, like this, it is. All kind of this, this defines what being a man is and part of it is being, being able to take care of 
the women in your life and, but also to be an authority figure, but also a mentor and role model. Well, and that's what, unfortunately they give Finn some of those qualities. Thankfully, not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see some of the same themes that come up in Finchel stuff as well. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and then, and then Finn says, that he says repeatedly in some episodes, like, you taught me how to be a man or something. And oh, that's a line everybody something. throws at each other at yeah. certain points. Because yeah. Kurt and Bert will say it, but at least when, even though I kind of like groan when I hear it, it's still, to me, it makes more sense. And it, it makes, how do I put this? Um, it feels more authentic that they, you know, we made each other better people is what the context kind of is more of. Instead yeah. of this will, like, I'm going to make you a real man, and you're going to take care of your woman, and you're going to bring home the bread, and you're just like, oh, my God, that kind of thing, so. Well, then they, um, then I guess, uh, as far as World Number Go, they revisited that, um, mm-hmm. not only in Yes, No, but, uh, I'm trying to think. The Spanish teacher, and, oh, in season yeah. six? Or in and season, even in, um, the season, um, the Girls and Boys on Film. Oh, yeah. 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 So they revisit that later on. Mm -hmm. That's a recurring theme that goes on. I was going to say, it's actually a good time to wrap up because after that, you know, of course, they put up the cast list and you have that wonderful thing where um, I I call it, I call it Blaine's Taylor Swift moment. He's like, oh my God, I got Because it just yeah. makes me think of Taylor Swift being shocked every time she gets an award. Like, oh my god! I'm like, mm-hmm. you were gonna get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like, yeah. And Kurt, where he's happy for him, but it also he looks at his a little deflated. He's just like, yeah, I'm I'm off the game. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the only the only other thing I want to mention is when Rachel goes to it and she's like apprehensive. I'm like, why are you apprehensive? You know, you're getting it, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there was a whole question of was like, is is Am I going to have to switch this out with Mercedes? <laughs> exactly. All right. So I'm um, jumping into um, Pot of Gold. Uh, here's the thing. Like, um, oh, pot of Gold. The funny <laughs> thing is the Kurt and the very little blame that is in this is all kind of separate of everything else that's going on in this episode. So I don't know. What do you guys want to start? We want to like knock off the Kurt stuff or you want to talk about Rory and the rest of the episode first? Oh. I mean, we can go ahead and, like, you know, talk about, you know, I mean, this is definitely human jukebox episode. Yeah. But keep in uh-huh. mind, this is also, but there also is a little bit of, I mean, there's some, here's the thing, there's some separate Kurt and Blaine stuff here. So there's a whole lot of claim, except for some of the cute dancing during last Friday night. Yeah. But there also is, um, but there also is when they, he does do that song and then Santana pops up and it's just like, oh, I see how it's going to be. Now it's going to be the Blaine and Rachel show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, oh, shoot, I forgot. I'm at this point, because up to this point, I can just read my meta and it's fine. And I'm like, oh, I have to start writing down the Blaine stuff too now. Because we're mm-hmm. getting into, because starting in um, the first time, Blaine is going to go off in his own direction and he's going to start getting plot lines to himself and moments to himself and really yeah. start to be more developed as a character outside of Kurt. So yeah, um, I just got to prepare yeah. better for these podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we are getting, yeah, but you do also start getting a little bit of the friction. You get more of a friction with Blaine and Finn. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, it opens up. The first thing we have with the two of them in here is this kind of everybody's angry at each other during this episode. And um, 
uh, Kurt and Rachel are still like annoyed with each other, and that's when she's like, "I'm putting up posters," and he's like, "Did they brush out your jowls?" She's like, "No," mm-hmm. and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Finn tries to give this kind of inspirational, you know, we've lost Mercedes, but hey, we're so awesome, and and Blaine stands up and is like, yeah, let's, you know, do that, and then the guy, and then the guy, then Finn is like, why don't you just sit down, and Blaine's like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, <laughs> uh-huh. and it, it's interesting, uh, I'm, this will be interesting to hear what you guys think about it, because in, when we get to it, we find mm-hmm. that Finn feels... And hold on to 16 when it's kind of wrapped up That Finn is kind of um, I don't want to say jealous But is in, Intimidated isn't really the right word either um, Of Blaine's talents And his leadership skills And that is the reason why he is Lashing out at Blaine But I, yeah. I find it really uh-huh. interesting because like You know Kurt and Finn live together It's not like Blaine is never around That he can kind of get mm-hmm. used to Blaine as a person mm-hmm. So it seems uh-huh. kind of weird a little bit But I, they wanted some kind of tension there. Yeah, I'm just gonna say it though. Uh, it's this is the one. This is one area of Glee that I always got really pissed off that they never ever covered, and this was one of the things that we just had to cover and fix. And that mm. is about the only time that we ever saw Bert, Finn, and Kurt at home together mm. was like in Prom Queen. Prom Queen, yeah. yeah. And like we never see, we hear all about these damn Friday night dinners, but I'll be damned if we ever see one. Well, and even in um, even in the first time, I mean, it, it's yeah, funny that too. that Finn talks never about the same house at the same time. Yeah. I'm like, are we sure they all live there? Because <laughs> Finn's like, oh yeah, Bert's out canvassing, and and Kurt's over with Blaine, and you know they have the house yeah. themselves. But I'm like, wait a minute, but that is Kurt and Bert's house too. It's just an interesting thing to like because they never. Yeah, you're right. And then Sam moved in at some point in season two, and. Or season Supposedly. three. I think he just I, got sent out in the backyard or something. <laughs> like, why was there not... But I don't remember if it was in a podcast or if I was just talking with somebody about it. We never really get to see them outside of the school as much. I mean, we do more so when we get to, like, season five. But, um, yeah, everything is so school-centered. Or you get these, like, private scenes. Um, so, And it, you know what? And now thinking ahead, that is... Breaking my heart because, okay, we've seen Bert, Finn, and Kurt in a room together. We saw them in the living room during prom queen. Yeah. We see um, there is a scene where with Finn and Carol um, towards the end of season three when they're when they we find out what actually happened with Finn's dad. With dad, yeah. And in and, and season and in the quarterback, we have Bert, Carol, and Kurt in Finn's Bert. room. Yeah. We never get to see all four of them at home together. Nope. We always see them at breadsticks or something. And breadsticks. Because they have that scene, like, in home when they when Bert and Carol start dating. And I do believe, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, we'll get to it at the end of this episode. Yeah. When mm-hmm. Bert runs for Congress. But, yeah, yeah we really yeah. don't. So, um, mm-hmm. we do get in the scene, though, where yeah, it's a little underplayed. I kind of wish they had done more with this kind of side of Kurt, but... Um, Will is like, hey, we need to actually do fundraising, and there is one person who actually does fundraising, and that is Kurt. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He takes it on himself and and decides to do it. And mm-hmm. uh, I like his little West Side Story brochure, which yeah. is very Art Deco, nineteen twenties, and like, yeah. um, I know. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what does that have to do with? What? Okay, fine. 
like if you're doing 42nd Street or Cabaret, maybe. Right. Or, that's, that's okay, whatever. Yep, that's fine. It's Kurt. I, I don't blame Kurt. I blame the props department. I do Fox. too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's when this is when um, they kind of rope into Bert into the plot line, though. Because yeah. then the first thing he and does is. The funeral owners from Lima. And the place that's like the, the funeral, funeral but also does wood baked beans. And what is a pet funeral parlor? Yeah, <laughs> funeral, yeah. <laughs> Ironic. So, uh, I mean, what, how did Bert become friends with all of these people again? And he says it, I don't remember. He knows them from Rotary. <laughs> Just cracks me up. And I love that they all look like they walked out of the 19th century. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, then and you know Bert being proactive in his kid's life, so yeah, yeah, and, and I will just say this is I think this yeah this this episode is about the time that people were really going Glee what the excuse me what the fuck are you doing yeah yeah but, I can uh, see because I think you know I think the first two episodes are relatively good and the third season kind of falters a little bit but this is the episode where we're like what the fuck is going on. Yeah, because yeah. we've got. Um, I tell you what, I feel like I need to just go ahead and jump into the very beginning episodes because let's face it, I'm cheating a little bit and looking at Glee Wiki. But the whole thing in the main plot is about ha, ah, our little Glee project pal, little Damien McGinty, <laughs> Roy Flanagan, and how so many people in the fandom hated his guts and couldn't stand him and thought it was boring. And mm. yet I, you know, offer the fact that up until now, just about. Every single foreign exchange student plotline that has been done in, you know, television or, you know, high school casting age television has usually been terrible stereotypes like yeah. Fez from that 70s show. Yeah. And I think they felt like having Rory slash Damien. Well, first off, I don't think Damien could have gotten rid of his accent if he tried. No. Nope. Um, but it was also a way to, okay, this is a safe way to do a foreign exchange to story without being too stereotypical or, you know, we can be stereotypical, but it won't insult a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Except, obviously, maybe by Irish. So. <laughs> <laughs> of course the Irish. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, here, let's get um, through some of this. this la- there's like only a little bit of the Kurt Blaine stuff left, and then I will yeah. open it up to... Because I want to ask you about the, the Glee Project stuff, and um, that might be a little com- bigger, a little bit bigger of a conversation. So I'm going to quickly check off some boxes real quick. Um, okay. We get okay. Um, some uh, jukebox lane. This is kind of the beginning of that. With um, Mercedes, it's gone. I'm going to cheer you guys up. Let's sing okay. last Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Which is sweet and cute. It doesn't, I mean, it's fun. It's a fun number. Um, uh, it's a cute little plane moment when they're dancing. Um, though Artie runs over. Meta that. Yeah, I love the meta that both. He, of course, that both Darren and um, Kevin were in the actual music video. Oh, that's Katie right. Blaine. That's right. They were. Oh, yeah. Um, but poor Blaine, he just doesn't. That's about it. I mean, and I really kind of. I'm gonna go on a little mini rant for a second. Um, I really can't stand it when people are like, "Oh, you know, Blaine gets so many solos and blah 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 blah," and I'm like, you know what? At least your other favorite character probably got plot because Lane did not get any plot. Um, mm-hmm. He got like little tiny five second exchanges with Kurt and Finn, and that was about it. So, um, this is 
And this is when Blaine was also, you know, he was in full on Macklemore mode and that he, I wear my, I wear your grandpa's clothes. I look awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> With his grandpa's pork pie hat. <laughs> but it was a cute scene. And then, um, so yeah, then, uh, we get the, I don't remember what spurs Will to do it. Something that Sue does. I don't know. This whole Will Sue Congress stuff that I'm kind of ignoring. But Bill, uh, Bill, Will goes to Bert and says, hey, you know what? You were awesome standing up to Sue. And because, yeah. Run for Congress. Run for Congress. And he's like, well, I'm already planning on it. And Will's like, I'll be your campaign manager. And Kurt's already decided to do that. Okay. Because I'm apparently too busy to direct the musical, but I have all the time in the world to run a U.S. congressional campaign. You know what cracks me up? This is 2011. I mean, there's no election in this year anyway. Whatever. (laughs) No, no, no. I think they said that it was a special election. Oh. Yeah. Remember, the actual, the the sitting congressperson had died. Yeah. Okay. And so they were having a special off-year election to fill the seat. That makes so sense. Technically, Bert could actually rerun. Could have rerun in 2012 for the full term. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I think Bert's just actually running to fill this guy's term. Okay. That makes a lot more sense now. I've always wondered that. I yeah. guess that's how little I pay attention to most of this plotline. Um, but then we get that scene with Carol and Bert and Finn and Kurt. And it's interesting because, you know, Carol and Bert have obviously talked a lot about it. And they're both really excited about the prospect. And mm-hmm. Finn is upset. Because, uh, just kind of like, are you sure you guys want to do this? And this is kind of where they bring in what we were talking about earlier about, you know, Finn, mm-hmm. you can run the tire shop. And he's like, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Kurt, on the other hand, he's concerned about his dad's health, for one. Mm-hmm. And, which is mm-hmm. something that gets forgot a lot until it's brought up again. Um, and then, you know, hey, your son is gay, and he's like, I don't care. Which mm-hmm. is, you know, nice. Yeah. It's just, a, it's interesting that it's such a small little understated moment when it's such, you know, it was the major plot line of season one, and now it's like, don't care, Kurt, let's go, and move on. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I, I think at some point he, I guess Bert says to Will, I guess when they, he goes to, Will goes to Bert and says, um, he wants to be his camping manager or something, or mm-hmm. he's explained to him. Hey, well, he said that art saves Kurt. The reason I'm doing this is because the art saved Kurt's life, mm-hmm. and I think that's like the first time it's been brought up. But it's been that it's been brought up uh, mm-hmm. after he says that that at that point is touched upon a couple it of times. It is implied so many different times. It's yeah. implied here. It's even implied in On My Way. It's not until the next to last episode ever in 2009 where they explicitly say, yes, was considered yeah. suicide and the club literally saved him. Well, it also, but it was implied. It, Kurt says that in that in that video to, that they did for Will when when he was. They were Your dad the, literally saved my life is when he said yeah. that. Yeah, yep. And probably so at the time we probably were at the time we probably were yelling, that's not what literally means. And then we find out oh, he did mean literally. Yeah. So that was the first time it was brought up. So I, I took mm-hmm. note of that. I guess that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so, um, <laughs> ending the scene is when <laughs> Sue comes along and is like, hey, I'm going to, you know, ruin your life trying to do this. Your ass. And she gives him <laughs> that giant. You know what cracks me up? Though? She gives him the giant. 
And was is it Finn who at the end of the scene you can hear him in the background like, hey, can I dig into this? (laughs) 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 So and then we get the ending and um the couple things I want to mention about the ending, um and this will actually segue into Rory. Um Mm -hmm. first of all the Rachel is sitting in between Kurt and Blaine, and I'm like, aren't they supposed to be mad at each other? Why is she sitting in between? Like, what? Let's go. Okay, fine. Uh, Yeah. I'm not going to even... Come on, Glee. You're better than this. And then um, Mercedes decides to... uh, She has left to join the Treble Tones. And um, Artie and Tina and Kurt come see her and wave. And, like, then it's like... um, Because at this point, Santana has joined Treble Tones. And 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 Brittany. They've all defected. And they're like... um, Nope, can't do that. And it's a little sad because, you know, those three were original Glee Club members and they want to, you That's know, support each other, but they can't. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so then getting into the Rory, we're going to start the ending and then jump all the way back to the beginning. Um, Rory sings his song. And, um, yeah, he sings in falsetto. And Kurt's like, oh, you know, it, it gives that annoyed Kurt yeah. look, which I, I, okay. I'm kind of rolling my eyes at that. Only because it's a difference between Rory singing falsetto and Kurt being a countertenor. Just wanted to throw that out there. So yeah, definite difference. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about uh, jump really into the Rory stuff, which um, mm-hmm. I didn't watch the Glee Project, so I am really unfamiliar about how uh, Damon McGinty won. I don't know if you guys watched it, but. It was classic Ryan Murphy saying he couldn't make up his goddamn mind. So um, he basically had, I think what happened was they announced um, when they did the Glee Project, the last, the finale of the Glee Project, they were left with four finalists. And that was Alex Newell, Mm -hmm. who later on played Unique, Lindsay Pierce, who played Harmony, uh, Damian McGinty, who actually, according to Wikipedia, is Damian McGinty Jr., there's Damian McGinty Sr. Um, and then Samuel Larson, who had, Blake you Joe. know. Had. Yeah. They announce, so first Ryan Murphy announces that Lindsay and Alex haven't won. Um, but that, but he did also say that you didn't, you will get, I think he told them they would each get two episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So everyone when they were going to be on. And then he says, Samuel, who uh, played Joe, Samuel, you are the winner of the Glee Project. And then he turns around and says, Damien, you are also the winner of the Glee Project. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, like, Damien breaks the F out. He's like, oh, my God! <clears throat> and so it was actually really funny that even we announced Samuel first, mm-hmm. Damien's character was actually the first to appear of a show to the point where people started getting really fussy and antsy going, when the heck is Samuel Larson going to get on here? Yeah. He does not appear like episode 13 14 or something like that yeah so anyway um so that was how that played out and so of course you know Lindsay had her first moment they put harmony on in, in the purple piano project and then of course she like, comes on later in the season for sectional mm-hmm. yeah um, i think does not come until towards the end of the of the season and of course ends up being the breakout role oh yeah, yeah. That's coming sticking around to the technically really to the very end because she yeah. does in fact appear in the series in the series finale and i lived yeah. um and so they had damien on first and 
I think we had already thrown hints that he was going to be an exchange student from Ireland because that's pretty much the most obvious thing you can do. Um, and I think, I don't think necessarily, I think the character Rory is purposely playing up the whole Irish leprechaun thing for Brittany's. And of course, the whole point is that Brittany actually thinks he's a leprechaun. Mm. Um, and of course, he's just trying to get in her pants. Yeah. So he's kind of being asked. And the thing is, is that Finn takes him under his wing. Yeah. So this is actually a big Rory theme. It's also a huge Finn thing because Finn kind of is looking like, like this is kind of a little brother that it's, isn't exactly like Kurt. Yeah. Um, so he kind of, you know, takes him under his wing and everything. And, but is also, you know, kind of like, why are you kind of like tricking Brittany like this? And it's actually Finn that totally called, it's really Finn that ends up pushing Santana and Brittany on the trouble tones. Mm. And what happens is basically Mercedes wants Santana to come split off and join. And Santana's like, I need to talk Brittany into it because I'm not going anywhere without her. Mm-hmm. And then we get back into that whole kind of, you know, I can make Br- the whole issue that we had in prom queen where Santana was just like, I can decree that Brittany does whatever I tell her to or something like mm-hmm. that. So she plays into the whole Rory leprechaun thing. And just as a quick interjection, this is kind of, gosh, and hopefully I won't get hate mail from Britannia shippers. This Mm -hmm. season is really kind of, there's the whole Santana and last season, like I can get Brittany to do what I want, but then there's this stuff. And I just, I guess it just rubs me the wrong way. How Santana's like, I mean, Brittany always will do her own thing and doesn't really, you know, she isn't under Santana's control ultimately, but, I don't know. And Santana's so overly mean at the beginning of the season. And I know a lot of people are like, well, she's an angry lesbian. And I'm like, okay. But she's still really <laughs> mean to everybody. I mean, she's yeah. just too far for me. I think this is the episode that, too, that they, that Brittany and Santana agreed that they're dating or something. Yeah. They do, but they're yeah. still, clo- still closeted dating. It's like they're holding hands in breadsticks, but then Santana covers their hands with a napkin. Yeah. Kind of yeah. thing. Um, and the thing is, okay. And so what actually happens is Finn, he suspects that Santana's about to defect. So he wants to basically get Rory to kind of spy on them for him to find Mm. out what's going on with them. And I think, and I can't even remember exactly what happens, but he somehow, something happens where Santana eventually, I think she gets a leprechaun mixed up with the genie. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Cause she has three wishes or something like that. She basically try, tri- basically is manipulating things with Rory so that Brittany will leave. And eventually what happens is, well, what usually happens, Finn mm-hmm. calls Brittany stupid. Yeah. And Brittany's like, well, F you, I'm leaving to go to Trouble Tones with my girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and don't forget, this is also when the one where, where Rory um, puts candy bars in Lord Tummington's litter box because Brittany wanted him, wanted one of her wishes was for Lord Tummington to be able to poop candy bars. <laughs> so the question oh, I, I have uh, for you, Pink, though, is because you, you know, it is a general consensus that Rory is one of the least liked characters. I personally mm-hmm. just kind of find him boring, but you said you, you enjoy his character. And so if you wanted to explain expand on that it'd be it's, interesting to hear I, I mean it's interesting because it's like his character it's 
he's actually a lot sneakier than you think he is. And it's like, oh gosh, right now for some reason, the idea of like, he's kind of a little bit manipulative. Because mm-hmm. I think there's actually, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, you kind of have to like the bad guy. Um, but he's it's also, I mean, he's just kind of this dork. And I honestly, I think a lot of it's his performances because the thing is, maybe his character is boring, but then people say, oh, his performances are boring. And I don't think his performances are boring at all. They're not, di- they're different, they're not as flashy. But I think his voice is absolutely engaging. I was going to say, um, I do think he does, the songs that he gets, I, I think he does well. I think that, you know, while I don't think he, he was a great actor or I, I still not really fond of the character, I, he, his, the performances are always the ones that stood out to me. I'm like, okay, I can understand for if you're going to go through a musical competition, why he would be one of the finalists. I think he does have a, a good voice. Yeah, I just think he got. I just think he he got shit on a lot. I mean, Ryan Murphy offered him a big old part on Glee, as he's supposed to say, "Thanks, but I'm not that great an actress. I'm gonna have to turn you down." Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that because also a lot of people were pissed that he won the Glee project. Well, that makes sense. I I can see that. Um, once because they got the message because you know halfway through Rory kind of just fades into the background after christmas and he doesn't really do much and and when uh, joe yeah. gets there he's really like in the background and yeah I, I you kind of forget that he's even there after like heart um yeah so i, and I mean that was kind of hilarious like him and Artie fighting over sugar uh, probably the best <laughs> rory plotline that they did <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I just, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, you have this, um, character that you, I mean, even if, despite what other people think, like you, you decided that this person is going to be a winner of this big project thing and you don't write him good material. I mean, like every, the other, I think Joe has better, is more interesting. I, um, definitely unique, got a lot of great stuff. And oh, of course, yeah. breakout and even Lindsay Pierce, um, harmony, I keep reading harmony's name. There was potential there. I think that she had some real personality to that character. And, yeah, well, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then if you think about it, I mean, this is for that season too, but you still had, um, uh, Blake Jenner who, who won the um, the next second. season, the second mm-hmm. season of the Glee Project? The only other season, I might yeah. Have. And also the um, oh shoot, I forgot her name. Um, the one in the wheelchair, uh, Ali Stoker. Ah, Ali Stoker, mm-hmm. yeah. Stoker. She mm-hmm. was also on the Glee Project. She didn't win, right. but they brought her back and got a part. So. Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah. But that was for another season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was, and she was actually the second, she was actually the runner up. Yeah. It was like, it was her, it was Allie Stroker. And then, um, I can't remember her last name. I, Eileen. Cause she, cause she would have been, it, I was really rooting for her because, you know, I would have loved to have seen a Muslim character mm-hmm. on the show. Me too. And so you had, you had a girl who is Muslim. You have a girl who is, uses a wheelchair and I went to the white dude with the beaver cut. Just and that's the other thing that like, I mean Rory. Okay, he gets round one, and then they kind of like, uh, like Ryder kind of. I mean they don't look exactly alike, but they're they're still similar looking, and it's it's yeah. I'm like 
Oh, Ryan Murphy. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I, and I will say this. It's like, I think what happens, and I think Ryan Murphy learned this with the first round of the Glee Project, because one of the first things he did was, okay, season two, I'm not going to s- split this thing up. It's going to be, you know, I will have one winner. Mm-hmm. And I think he learned a lesson from the first season of doing the Glee Project. And that is that, you know, with very few exceptions, you can't just cast somebody out of thin air and not mm-hmm. already have a role built for them. Well, exactly. Yeah. And that's, I think that, and oh, go ahead. He, I think what he was basically, he now had these four act, these four people who he had promised minimum two episodes for. And he's like, I have to, not only do I have to write roles for them, but I somehow have to fit them into the narrative that I already have built for this season. Not uh-huh. to mention that you already have a cast of beloved characters that is huge. And on top yeah. of that, they, they like, why wasn't Sugar was obviously, she was there to help with the Trouble Town stuff, but why didn't one of the winners, why didn't, why wasn't, um, not that I don't love Vanessa Lenzi, she's fantastic in the role, but like, why was um, Lindsay Pierce not Sugar? I mean, like, mm-hmm. why are you still adding these regular characters in when, you know, yeah. I'm just it was so confused, but I do think, you know, there's a reason why somebody said once, you know, there's a reason why you traditionally cast or you come up with a role and then cast somebody because uh, you get what is kind of a messiness with these Glee Project winners that feel a little stuffed in. And I think that's another reason why season three fumbles a lot because they were trying to write around all of these, you know, situations that they've gotten themselves into. Yeah. The other issue yeah. that they had really, and this was an issue with the Glee project in the first place. And this was actually talked about. I think the casting, I think Robert Ulrich maybe mentioned this, that one of the inspirations yeah. for the Glee project was the, was Chris Colfer. Yeah. I was about to say that. He yeah. audition and they created a role for him. And I've, honey, that is lightning. Exactly. Okay. You cannot yeah. make lightning strike twice the same way. Well, and you gotta, like, here's my thing, too. Chris Colfer doesn't seem the type of person that would go out for, or he might, no, I don't really see it, for a reality show. And you, the people that are going to go out and try and audition on a reality show for a show that's already popular are a different group of people than the Chris Colfers in the world. So, yeah. or whoever, I even though, didn't I hear a rumor that even, didn't I hear a rumor that they were casting Glee Project so far ahead in advance, but I think even Darren Chris had put in a, a tape for Glee Project. I think he did. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that early. I think he did. I, I know that he I like did it. Like that. Darren Chris does have it at a quote unquote audition video, which is not his actual mm-hmm. audition for Glee um, that he put online. Because you can yeah. still watch it. It's still when he has like really poofy hair and but mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, I may be completely off on that. I, I don't um, know. I remember hearing something like that. Well, I remember like when this is when he Glee got. Well, that doesn't or, make sense because he was on. Yes, he was. Well, I mean that doesn't make. Okay, now no, I remember now. I think with the Glee project, one of the things they did was they actually went back and contacted people who had auditioned for Glee in the past. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. So yeah, Darren was a part of that bunch. But um, yeah, I mean it's. You, you. The other thing too is that like they, like you guys have said, they kind of shoehorned these characters in. I mean, when you look at when, uh, you know, Cord and when Darren came in, they needed these positions to be filled, you know, and so they were able to fill them. And they didn't really have, like, Sugar works for me because it was, a you know, a, a position that they wrote and then they filled it. 
But these other, like, hey, we have an Irish guy. Oh, uh, let's do an, uh, you know, foreign exchange student. Hey, we've got this and that, you know, the thing. And, oh, uh, hey, we got a Christian guy with dreads. Let's make him a Christian guy with dreads. Exactly. <laughs> the only one that really stands out is unique because yeah, she's and I unique. think that was the, the most organic the most organic role that came out that was probably the one that was as about as um, the most like Chris Colfer's uh, I guess yeah here's I think what so. I have to say about Unique's role and I feel like I feel like we should save this conversation for Saturday Night yeah. Lever because that's where that character comes I up think so, but, I, yeah. but I think yeah. but just a, a long story short type of thing I think by the time that they placed Alex Newell with a role and with a part. They had like a good two thirds of a season under their belt. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had enough time to find a natural progression because they only had to write two episodes. Contractually, Alex only had two episodes. It was completely up to them to actually bring that character back for season four. Yep. But so that, so it was going to be easy to fill spots in. And when that came, it organically came about because they were already getting ready for regionals. It yeah. seemed perfect to have kind of this new thing with vocal adrenaline to try something different. Um, it was also a time where we were just starting to hear about trans issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this may have been, I think this may have been the same year that Orange is the New Black started. I believe. And we started so. hearing about uh, Laverne Cox. Um Obviously, you know, long before uh, Caitlyn Jenner, but we started hearing more about trans issues at this time. Right. And kind of like the way Kurt and Chris was with the gay rights um, back in, you know, season one. Then we go on to this, you know, the the trans rights and starting with unique. And yeah, it's just like a right place at the right time type thing where, Yeah. yeah, which is why Rory and Joe kind of. Yeah, yeah, faded. Yeah. Oh, you know what? No, never mind. Uh, Orange is the New Black didn't come out until 2013. So okay, well, never mind then. But I think that there was like a couple of. I want to say that maybe I think it may have been maybe that time. I think maybe a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race had come out as transgender. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so kind of changing directions, but just to kind of wrap up the conversation of, of this episode, the one mm-hmm. plot line that we did not touch and really don't need to touch with a ten foot pole. Shelby, fucking Quinn. Yep. Oh God. Yeah. Let's just pretend that didn't fucking happen. <laughs> that the fact that I mean, it was already a, it, it was already terrible. Because first off, you have Quinn suddenly deciding you have Quinn went complete went completely crazy pants. <laughs> and you have, and then you have the whole you know, and then of course all the gross stuff that's going on with Mark selling now. I don't. Yeah. I, don't think I know. Talk about the anymore no i think that makes it even more skeevy than before before it's so. like yeah because i mean the whole thing is just like ooh, it's the teacher student thing and now you've got like a whole child porn thing it's just yeah let's just completely skip that one entirely it's exactly just, you know, i wasn't gonna say much about it i just wanted to acknowledge that it was there and, and we had I- mentioned um in in um the previous um podcast about you get adina menzel back for eight episodes oh, excuse me and this is what you do with her. I mean, it's no wonder she was like done with Glee after this because holy crap. I mean, I know. It's I think this has got to be one of the worst plot lines that the store, I mean, including all of the will stuff that they've done over the years. 
I think mm-hmm. this has got to be the worst thing that they decided to do for on any oh, yeah. long going yeah. time. I mean, and it went on for eight episodes, and it was just like, why is this thing happening on my TV screen? Yeah. What were the ratings for that episode? They could not have been good. This was one of those episodes where people were like, what? The-? Yeah, all I know is that, um, and I don't have it brought up, but what happened is that the ratings were really, really good up until original song. Original song happened, and it was like 11 million people. Then it went down to 9 million. They lost mm-hmm. 2 million people after that. Um, yeah. Draw your own conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. um, when season three hit, it just just started decline. It just kept going down. It never recovered after that. So yeah. I, I don't know. Um, but I think season three not being very good was what, and then the stuff that happened after, you know, the end of season three, beginning of season four is why Glee never really recovered. And I, I'm sorry that this seasons five and six kind of got for lack of excuse my terminology, got shit on a bit because mm-hmm. I think they were better quality than, they were. I think they just stuff. got shafted in a way. And especially season six when they decided, when Wooden Fox was like, you know what? We are giving you the bare contractual minimum and we are going to burn you all in two months on a Friday night so that we can be done with you. It was like, seriously, that was like the equivalent of pulling all your man's shit out of the closet, tossing <laughs> it out the window and saying, you gone. Well, I think at that point, I think Ryan Murphy was done with the series too. He had moved on to his new favorite thing. The, no. um, season six, however, I believe that it, season six, they went back to just him, Ian, and Brad writing all the episodes. Actually, it's not. And uh, I, no, I'll get into not. it. I'll get into it in season six. But um, it's fascinating to watch the writers because the, the, the way the season progresses, it gets kind of gradually not as good. And that's because you've got um, Ryan, Ian, and Brad beginning. And then it gradually into these writers, and then the last couple of not 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 two thousand nine and dreams come true, but the couple before that are written by people that have never written the show before, um, or yeah, they might be staff like, writers, but they've never written an episode on their own. So it is almost like Ryan and Brad came back from shooting American Story, going American Horror Story, going, "Hey guys, what's been going on? Oh, okay, we'll try to make this work." <laughs> so yeah, so anything we want to touch upon before we wrap up? Uh-huh. Let's just quickly wrap up the songs. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, gosh, I'd have to. And, uh, up. Uh, I, I like the first trouble term song. The, the one, one that oh, the Candyman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I like that one. There's Candyman. Um, yeah, that one's a lot of fun. And even though I'm not the hugest fan of the trouble tone stuff, um, I I think that musically they always sounded really good. So uh, we have the two yeah. Rory solos um, and I like being green. That's I, I just like that song. I do. Yeah. I like pretty much I'm, I'm to this day. I'm just like the closest we ever got to doing like a Muppet episode was when Blaine did that. You're my best friend. I would have yeah. loved that. <laughs> and um, of course we had last Friday night, which of course was fun. Um, they gonna, took a perfectly good foreigner song, gave it to Puck and ruined it. Yeah, I want to bird that. I want to bird that song. I just version out of it out of my head. Considering, <laughs> considering yeah. all that, the stuff that's going on in real life and stuff. Well, they gave another. They gave uh, another foreigner song to Mercedes, and she knocked it out of the park. So yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I think. I mean, while there's some good moments in these two episodes, I think these two kind of start to show the decline of. You know, it, it's just, they're very messy episodes in some respects. And 
Um, like I said, while we, while we can draw some really nice things out of it, I think this just kind of shows the direction that season three was going in. And yeah. actually, in the middle of season three isn't as bad as people think it is, but um, yeah, I don't know. So, I well, think, I think go ahead. I think Pop World was the, was that the Pop World the first episode? Because I I started to pay attention to directors and who's directing the episode, like Brad Bucher, who who directs clean episodes primarily, and so I think this is the first time that Adam oh, Adam Shank okay. This was yeah. This was an Adam Shankman episode. Which yeah, Pot of Gold was Adam Shankman. Disappointing. Yeah, Adam usually does a good job. Yeah, I think yeah, because like my biggest issue this this episode feels really messy, and it might be just because there are so many characters that they're trying to juggle, and nobody yeah, really gets. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you're also also episode. Sorry. Go, oh no. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, this episode was also written, um, if I can see, this was also the first of three episodes that was written by Allison Adler. Oh. Oh, okay. Because they had made a very big deal about bringing on a, uh, as bringing on a female writer. I think it was yeah, the first time I had a female writer on the show. Yep. Well, I like and that idea. And currently a co-writer, developer, and writer on Supergirl. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she so, was on. She was writing for Buffy before, wasn't she? Or, or I think uh, she was. I think she was. Or something. She yeah. was. She was a writer for. Ah, uh, let me see. Chuck. I think she was Chuck. on Chuck. Yeah, she wrote for Chuck. She wrote the New Normal, and she is. Oh, she is the executive producer and writer on Supergirl. Oh, oh. cool. Well, you know, and I'm. I'm not going to always blame writers. If you're told by, you know, your head writer and network, whatever, you're going to do these plot lines. And this is mm-hmm. what you have to work with. You know, I mean, there are funny moments in this episode. So, it, yeah. you know, yeah. what can you do? Yeah. So, I mean, they, I mean, essentially, they did the same thing with Chris Colfer. They said, you know, you're going to write an episode, but basically do this. Yeah. 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 I think this was the same season overall then that, you know, we were talking about censorship and all that stuff. I think that's the same season that the fandom got really sick of it and started those campaigns and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the, the other thing. I, I, you know, and I didn't come really hardcore into fandom until the middle of season three, but there is so much mm-hmm. tension in season three. And I think everybody just wanting their characters to have plot lines and really kind yeah. of getting tired of the, the abundance of Finn and Rachel, which really starts in the second half of the season. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, these bad plot. Like, I mean, nobody really wanted to watch Puck and Shelby and Quinn have this weird, strange love triangle mm-hmm. baby stealing thing. And uh-huh. yeah, so I can yeah, understand it. Yeah. It started to get fatiguing after a while. So I guess the only other thing to maybe talk about, and it's, you know, it's the elephant, <laughs> elephant, GOP in the room. Mm-hmm. Is I can't help but wonder. I mean, when you think about it overall, and we might do this on a separate podcast and talk about Glee and the political climate of the time. It's like because they even pointed out when they were talking about the Obama administration, is that you know Glee was a part of that. I mean, Glee, you know, yeah, you know, Obama's inauguration was in January of two thousand and nine, and Glee started that May. Yeah, absolutely. and and I wonder what would have happened. If we still had Glee on the air. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. I, you know, after the election today, I, you know, after the election results, I was wondering um, everything that Glee kind of stood for. Now that we kind of got it, like, now that 
things have changed so much during these past eight years, or mm-hmm. I, I wonder what it's going to be like now in this, how relevant it is now that we're having a shift I think in the political perspective. We're not going to have another Glee, but we need something like it. We yeah, do. We do. I, mean, I, I hope that there's, I mean, maybe, who knows? Let's about to open up some kind of yellow diamonds <laughs> referencing a thick dystopian <laughs> thing. Well, Maybe uh, Darren's doing a new show. Maybe that can. I don't want to see Samantha be dragged off to prison or something. So <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. Darren's new yeah, show. Yeah, that's right. Be. Darren is on a new show. Maybe <laughs> about so. Yeah. Well, Man, I wish well, I could end this on a little bit happier note, but I don't know if I have one. <laughs> so well, um, I guess the happier note is that Glee is still around on Netflix for people to watch. Yeah, and it's still a relevant and, and a gem of the the time that it's in, and I think. That it's something yeah. that people can go back and even through stuff that isn't the greatest, like season three, I think it's still relevant and I still think it it's is. worth talking about. So, yeah. And I think it's also a reminder that even though it's not on the air anymore, technically, and even though a lot of people could say that, oh, dreams come true and Glee was on and it's happily ever after. And so, yay, all, you know, everybody loves everyone now. And it's just like the show ends, but the work keeps on going. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Especially now, especially moving forward. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here and say thank you guys for coming in on talking to me. And thank you to my listeners for checking us out. Um, Come back with us next Sunday when we start the first half of our uh, first time special double two-parter. So it's going to be fun. Check it out.